I'm Damian Bulwa, Managing Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, how the nation's political divide is playing out in the Bay Area. The election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris seems to have only driven a bigger wedge between the red and blue among us. In fact, people can't even agree if Biden won the election. My guests today are culture critic Peter Hartlob, host of the Total SF podcast, and reporter Rachel Swan. Thanks, guys, for joining me. Thanks for having us. So this topic of the divisions among us, it has been going on for years. I, I think we all keep hoping that it's going to get better, and it only seems to get worse. And, and this story starts out on that that night, that Saturday night after the, the election was called in favor of Joe Biden and um, people are having different reactions. People are celebrating, and we already are sort of drawn attention to the fact that that people are so split, Peter. And you really evoke this scene in the Castro. What what were you seeing? You know, I was I was at home, but I'm looking on social media and um, celebrations everywhere. I, I think Spence Whitney, our colleague, put it best. It, it seemed like uh, a celebration like the second Death Star got destroyed. I think he tweeted. And um, you looked at it and it just seemed like the Bay Area, progressive place, catharsis, celebration. But then you start looking a little bit closer and some of the responses on Twitter, we had several reporters out in the field, Michael Cabanatuan, Sarah Ravani, and Michael Williams, and they were coming back with a little bit more of a nuanced thing where there were some Republicans who were really upset. And then we kind of started to realize that there was a different story, a second story there too. Yeah, and it wasn't just the difference of opinion. It, it was the knowledge that people might not find common ground at all. And, and people started to fear not just for tomorrow, but for one and two years ahead, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I think that um, we can have our party, but when the party's over, it's almost like the country needs an exorcism now. I mean, there's a really, really big problem of division, um, all the unity that Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris have been calling for in their speeches, it's clear it's going to be something that's incredibly difficult. And I think we found that in our reporting. Rachel... You guys have this sort of jarring line in your piece on sfchronicle.com that for some people, the pandemic um, may be an excuse not to get together with relatives and deal with that potential minefield over dinner, that political minefield. Yeah, absolutely, Damien. Um, I mean, we've seen just friendships severed over politics, um, these really fierce divisions on social media and conversations that might have been tense or, or um, easy to kind of laugh off in the past, you know, it's just become a lot more turbulent this year. I noticed that my daughters were already sort of having um, exchanges with people about the election, and they're pretty young. And already it was sort of, I almost want to tell them, like, be careful, like not all of your friends may feel the same way and just be, be a little sensitive to that. And I feel like that is something I never would have thought of, um, you know, in the past, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like, don't talk about politics. I mean, you know, relatives are coming over. Don't say anything. Talk about the 49ers, whatever. And it didn't used to be that way. Certainly, I remember having kind of more nuanced discussions. And if there were differences, maybe you'd give someone like a little bit of ribbing over it, but it wasn't something that was going to turn into the end of your friendship or the end of your family bonds. I mean, it's, it's really, really gotten stark. Yeah, and then you start talking about the 49ers and Colin Kaepernick comes up and the yeah. whole thing is shot. <laughs> yeah. Rachel, tell us about folks that you spoke to for this piece. It, you know, you guys are talking to people about not only how they feel about the election, but but sort of their anxieties now about, you know, people who feel the same as them and people who don't feel the same way as them. Yeah, so, um, I mean, on the first day, the day that, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden were declared the president and vice president elect. I went out to Kamala Harris's old house in Berkeley where it was just joyous celebration, you know, wall to wall music. I mean, people were coming up to me and saying happy victory day, you know, and I almost felt weird, you know, like there's this assumption that everybody's kind of an ally and this is like a happy little bubble of joy. And then for a lot of this reporting, though, I um, quite deliberately proceeded to, you know, reach out to Trump voters, you know, in part because they're a little harder to find in the Bay Area. And I really thought it would be interesting to get the perspective of people having to navigate, you know, having conservative views and like whether to be outspoken about it or not. And the way that people talked about their political identity has gotten like just so weird. I mean, you talked about it being a minefield. You know, I talked to this one Trump voter who um, I actually found out he is a Trump voter because he became very vociferous on Facebook, you know, but he talked about, you know, being kind of a closet conservative for quite a long time and then sort of like finding his voice and emerging and getting dunked and losing all these friendships and having people unfriend him. And it was kind of like this saga, you know, like I, you know, I actually see these Facebook posts, you know, where in one post within a few hours, you know, he'd be very like vociferously talking about a political issue. And then in the next, he'd be like, it's so weird being a Trump voter in the Bay Area. I just came out of the closet, well, that guys. Is that is it's such a, I think, radicalizing moment for people on both sides of the aisle is to to think, oh, I'm I feel so strongly that I'm going to put this on my social feed. And then the response, which in some cases, maybe you hope brings them back toward the middle instead really drives them uh, toward their own belief system. I think one thing that we had that was kind of unique is that Rachel talked to uh, Corin Rankin. She's a, a Republican, has a nonprofit trying to kind of recruit young people and other people to the Republican Party. And I spoke with John Bowders, uh, Emeryville City Councilman, one on the right, one on the left, but both have really tried to engage and have not shut people out. They've actually been proactive about um, family members and people that they know having conversations and trying to get um, get some unity there. Um, John John Bowders he comes from the Midwest and in 2016 half of his family voted for Trump and half voted for Clinton. 
and he's been dealing with that the last four years. Um, and uh, it, it's a, you know, it, it's it's a tough thing. But I think one thing that this story has is it has sort of some guidance and maybe answers on on how to deal with that next step, which is mending these fences in our lives. Yeah, there's an incredible story that you guys tell about um, Bowders in 2016 election and how he he won for Emeryville City Council, right? Yes. It should have been a great night. So John Bowders, he's never won an election, not in elementary school, not in high school. He's never won an election until Emeryville City Council invites all of his friends, rents a room or a part of the Sheraton in Emeryville, buys a bunch of booze, and for 15 minutes, it's awesome. Um, they get the returns, he's ahead. And then after those 15 minutes end, the Trump returns start coming in and it turns into a total funeral. Um, his party is ruined. He said he brought booze home, which um, I think is the worst thing you can say about a campaign. You would think he lost, but um, yeah, it was a real strong memory for him. All right, I want to take a quick break. Uh, this is Fifth Admission. We'll be right back with more about the divide in America after the election. Welcome back to Fifth Admission. I'm here with Peter Hartlove, our culture critic, also the host of the Total SF podcast, and reporter Rachel Swan as well. Their piece on the political divide in the nation and how it's being expressed in the Bay Area is uh, is online at sfchronicle.com. Thanks again for, for joining me, guys. Um, I want to just, you know, these things don't have easy solutions, but I want to just kind of throw it out there. I mean, on one hand, it feels like social media and, and cable news are really driving this. And one thing we could all do is just get off of these things or somehow have an agreement to not partake in them. And on the other hand, like it, it feels like we can't even agree on what the on what the remedy is here, because some people believe that it's finding common ground. And the other side, the other people seem to think it's crushing the other side um, and crushing them and getting them to come over and getting them to abandon their their beliefs. There aren't a lot of good choices here. We could all agree to delete our Twitter and Facebook at exactly the same time. We could all agree not to watch Fox or MSNBC um, and not see things through the lens of, of you know, the hosts that we like. And that would probably cure the problem because what we're dealing with right now is basically a couple of different realities that conflict and there's no middle ground. Um, I think the solution is going to be a lot harder than that. Um, I think the solution, and, and this is something that a, a couple of the people we interviewed talked about, is not forcing your reality on someone else. It's having a conversation. Uh, John Bowders talked about with his mother, you know, when he had uh, conflicts about um, her conservatism, he didn't shout at her and tell her she was wrong. He gave her a book, you know, about Black Lives Matter. And, and, and that seem to work. It's incremental. It's not easy. It's not 280 characters, but that may be the way out. You know, love each other, have conversations, give each other books. And maybe that's the beginning of, of getting out of this huge problem we have. Rachel, I want to put you on the, the spot for a second because you spent um, some years covering politics in San Francisco. And I just wonder if there's any comparison here. I mean, in San Francisco, People on the outside look in and they they see they think everybody agrees, but actually, you know, it's the so-called progressives versus the so-called moderates, and sometimes they you know retreat to their camps as well. And I you know I wonder you know is 
Is this fundamentally different? Are we in, in a, a place here that, that goes far beyond any, any previous divides? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, in San Francisco, in Oakland, in Berkeley, I'm sure in Alameda, you know, it, you know, it's all shades of blue, but there's side issues that are just as much, you know, one reality versus the other reality or one set of beliefs versus the other set of beliefs. And um, I don't know, in San Francisco, it, it's a lot of it is land use and housing. Uh, in, in many cities now, it's should we have police do traffic stops or not? I mean, these are the kinds of issues we live or die on. We all like one thing that struck me going to the Kamala Harris house again was like, this is Berkeley where everyone like basically feels the same way in national politics. And I like turned to my husband and I was like, look, see, we all feel the same way. He was like, no, Berkeley is very divided. It's extremely divided. It's very tribal. So, yeah. So I want to ask you guys both too about 2016. It feels like the, the seeds of all of this started then and, and we're still um, sort of wounded and traumatized uh, perhaps on both sides by, by the intensity of that moment. And of course, you know, a lot of people in the Bay Area blame Donald Trump that he's a very divisive figure. But I want to ask you guys, where were you in, in 2016? And what are your memories uh, of some of those initial moments where things got really intense? So I was a movie critic and arts critic, mostly at the time. Um, but I kind of got in a mutual aid situation where the newsroom needed me to go out to an election party. And so I was at the party at, I think it was Don Ramones um, in Soma and Gavin Newsom was there, Ed Lee was there and it was the party for the people who wanted uh, assault weapons ban and to legalize marijuana. And they both won. It was like there were people there who had been all their lives wanting legalized marijuana and they won. And as soon as those Trump results came up, I swear the whole room, it was, it was like that John Bowder's party. I mean, the booze stopped flowing. Everybody got really serious. And then maybe the booze started flowing a little harder. I mean, it, but I remember it was this triumphant moment for everybody in the room. They won both of their, um, both of their uh, uh, initiatives or propositions and it was a total funeral. Rachel, what about you? What do you remember about 2016? So one, one of my earliest memories from 2016, isn't this crazy that we now talk about earliest memories from 2016? But I remember driving, um, I, I, it was either to work or an assignment one day. It was in the morning and I was listening to news on the radio and I was listening to Trump's first address to reporters, you know, like the, his first press conference in the Rose Garden and all the reporters were assembled. And I just remember feeling just like I was about to crash my car because of the things he was saying. Like he called Buzzfeed a big pile of flaming garbage. And he was like in this <laughs> yelling match with the CNN guy and, you know, like, and so people were told to leave the room. And I just like never heard a political figure um, address media that way. And I was just like, so taken aback. And then it was like, became normal, kind of all over the place. <laughs> so... <laughs> All right. I just want to end um, by asking again whether there is any hope 
to this, is this a, a road that, that, that just goes in one direction or, you know, are people actually trying to find common ground and sort of get out of this hole? I think there's always hope. Um, and if there isn't, then all we're doing is fighting. I think, uh, walking into this with optimism is kind of the only way to go and maybe it's not going to work out but i, I think the key is and and just reporting the story it feels like there's a difference between telling you what your opinion should be and having a conversation and that seems to be the starting point and the divisions are deep there's some areas where there are lines that you're just not going to cross and and things you're not willing to forgive but usually there's some area in there where you can start a conversation. And I, and I think it's going to be slow. I don't think this is something that happens in a week or a month or year, but I, I think there's reason to, to have optimism. It makes me feel like I think that sometimes there's conversations that two people have now where they're both kind of playing the dance and they're not saying that we're both given a little but it's an understood thing between the two of them. Hey, we're on different sides and we're both going to give a little. And so we could actually have a conversation and there's a, there's a shared understanding. Yeah. And I mean, one thing to remember, I guess, you know, is there's Twitter reality and then there's like actual reality. And one thing I, you know, I was talking to a pro professor for our story last night at, who described himself as a congenital optimist, but, you know, he said, you know, one thing to remember is when you go on Twitter, you're seeing the most intense the most involved, the most absorbed, the most not disinclined to use their real names. And um, <laughs> that's, you know, that's not really, but when you go out there and walk down the street and go to the grocery store, a lot of us just want the same thing fundamentally. We just disagree on how to get there. Yeah, and hopefully don't run into Tucker Carlson at the grocery <laughs> store. I think we've just had this bonding experience too. I mean, we, we are all having to go through this pandemic and make sacrifices. And, and a lot of people know someone who's been hurt or, or I think that might be something that helps get us through. I mean, we, we're gonna have to come together even more, it seems like as these numbers go up and, and maybe that's the starting point. Maybe that's, that's where the optimism starts is the fact that we're gonna have to all work together on this common crisis. Well, I'm inspired, Rachel, I don't know if you are, but thank you for ending on that note. Peter. Uh, hey, thank you both for joining me again. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you so much, Damien. Thanks to my guest today, Peter Hartlove. He's the host of the Total SF podcast. You can get that wherever you get Fifth and Mission. He's also a culture critic at The Chronicle and to reporter Rachel Swan. Thanks also to Erica Carlos for producing this episode. And thank you for listening.